Good morning, friends. Whew, that was good, right? Who could, have, who could have kept going, right? Dana's like, it's hard to sit after that. Yeah, yeah, he is good. We're going to talk about his goodness today. Yeah? Okay. We've been in a series, this is the second week of a series on lies. And what we're going to talk about today is this lie that heaven exists out there somewhere. That it exists out there somewhere. And we believe that heaven does exist out there somewhere, and it exists today in the normal, in the ordinary, in the everyday experience. And so we're going to explore together, how do we ever get confused, and how do we, how do we get in a headspace where we start considering heaven this thing that just is out there waiting for us down the road. But as we get into that space, I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we continue to worship together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're here. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're here together. May you guide our time. Strengthen our hearts. Illuminate our minds. That we may see you afresh. And see you in the normal and the ordinary. See your participation and activity in and around our life. We love you and we trust you. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen? Amen. Today we're going to talk about this idea that heaven doesn't just exist out there somewhere, but heaven actually exists here, today, somewhere as well. And if you were anything like me, I grew up in, in, a Christ, I grew up in this Christian home, and I began to learn different practices along the way that began to inform how I started thinking about heaven. See, I learned, and I don't know where, but I learned somewhere along the way that heaven existed out there somewhere, and I needed to prepare for it sometime today. And in heaven, I treated heaven kind of like this race, right? And I got a prize at the end of. And I don't know if it was my grandmother when she was like, hey, here's another jewel in your crown, and I like, got really confused. Like, when's the crown coming? <laughs> and how many crowns do I get, right? And I didn't know how to understand this concept. And I began to consider heaven or this experience of connection with God, union with God, the with God life, as reserved for when this stage of the journey, when this body tended to fail, and I could transition into that space. And in our home growing up, we practiced these different things. In a sense, it was like, you live a godly life now, and you'll get God later. And in a sense, what I adopted, whether it was taught or just inferred, was that there is something separating me from him. And I needed to do something to encounter him. And this, this, was, this was inferred through little things along the way. Like we would come home from church on Sunday, and we would be anticipating like a Broncos game at 2 o'clock. And my brothers, I have three other brothers and a sister, lucky sister. I have three other brothers, and we would be told like, you can watch the Bronco game once you memorize this 
passage of scripture. And so it was like, all right, I'm going to do this thing so I can get what I want out of it. And so memorization of scripture became this interesting like element to what I was seeking to find as did other things along the way, in some form of, like, the way that we behaved needed to be proper. Some, some form, like, some form, you're only in junior high or something, but some form of, like, ethical excellence needed to be achieved. And what I learned was I had to do certain things so that I could encounter him, so I could experience him in this today sense, or even perhaps later in time, down the road. But my experiences have been a little bit different since then. And if you're at all like me, you maybe look back on the story or the narrative of your faith journey, and you see these moments in time along the way where you seem to have bumped into or encountered these experiences of grace, where it feels like you are good, good, right? It feels like that. And you sense a responsiveness to it. Like, okay, <laughs> I can say yes to that one. Like, okay, you are good. Okay, good, yes, oh, right? And you have these moments. I had one when I was like 17 years old. And I was lying on a field in nowhere, Kansas, with my now best friend, Bobby. And we were looking up into this night sky, just watching stars, like, travel around the world. And I listened to him describe his relationship with God. And it awakened something. Right? It was so spectacular. And it felt like I wasn't generating anything myself. It felt like a kind invitation. And I think I look back on that time now, and I think that's where a lot of that story began for me, was understanding what I would now call or consider the love story, the good, great romance, right? The voice of love speaking to me well. And sometimes that helps me reframe the voice of God, because I can, I can get caught up in like, oh, I've, I've seen movies where where dads or fathers are communicating in a certain way, or I've had personal experiences where it comes kind of bent. <laughs> and this experience, laying on the ground and looking in the sky and just listening to Bobby describe his, felt like a different voice. Felt like a voice that was for him. And it felt like a voice that could be for me as well. And it was, and I look at the narrative, I look at some of the story, and it's like these moments in time, these intersections in the normal, ordinary, and everyday, where I seem to bump back into or tap back into these, these, these punctuated experiences where I feel taken somewhere else. And we're going to look and explore, of what, explore what that looks like in consideration of heaven today. Okay? We're going to look at what does that really mean for us in heaven today. See, the way scripture talks about heaven, the way Christ talks about heaven, is that he, he talks about heaven, he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he talks about the kingdom of God, and he's using these terms interchangeably. But he's, he's simply referring to the with God life. 
Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God in heaven. The with God life. The connected life. A sense of his proximity and nearness is how he, he speaks of it. And Jesus speaks this in Luke 18, and he's talking about this current state of affairs and the state of affairs to come. And he says this, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children or probably fill in the blank for the sake of this kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. We'll talk about eternity in just a sec, because it's Sunday, and that's fun. But when he talks about this age to come, and this age, what he's referring to are two independent spaces, two independent places. If we look at this word in the Greek, it's this word ion, A-I-O-N, and ion has these two different meanings. One is this particular amount of time like a specific period of time. It has a beginning, some things happened along the way, you may have gotten married or something, and then this thing ends. It's a particular, it's a period of time. That's one sense of the word ion. And then it's also used in this future sense of it to come. And it's, a ter- it's, it's, it's engendered with eternal language. Like it, there is no beginning, there is no end. It just is going, is the sense of ion. And so we find that it's actually very different than how we sometimes infer what forever could be like. Because I think there is a big difference between forever and what's eternal. And you might be asking, like, well, what's the difference? And I think it's everything is the difference, I think. In one sense, forever, the way that forever we think about forever is this accumulation of time. Like, this is going to be forever, right? I think of, like, Squints in that movie, The Sandlot, right? Benny the Jet, right? Squints is in the the treehouse with his friends, and he's got a flashlight, and he's telling them the story of the beast next door, the dog next door who got arrested after eating, like, children or something. And they say, how long is he sentenced in prison? And he says, forever, right? And then it, like, slows down, forever. And I think of that in the sense of the accumulation of time. It's like a prison sentence. It's like forever. I heard someone describe heaven as a church service that went on forever. I did. And I was like, I hope not. Because I've been in that. This could be that church service. But <laughs> this could be it. But it's this sense of like, I hope to not be going on forever. And ev- but eternity, that's different. Eternity, I'm going to sign up for. But forever? That's like when you're at the DMV and you pull the number and it's like 55. And it's like serving 54. And so you stay standing for like a, way too long. And then you're like, I guess I'll sit down. Because this is never going to. That's the sense of the word forever. Right? In our church growing up, we would sing this song, I could sing of your love forever. Right? And as a kid, I remember thinking, like, I could sing of your love forever. As long as forever is more like four minutes. Because <laughs> I, got, I got some sinning to do, like this afternoon, probably. I got things to get to. And so, but, but the way that heaven is referred to is not forever in that same sense, but is eternal 
but is eternal. And what eternal feels like is categorically different. Eternal is that experience you've had with those that you really, really love. Right? Think about like when you first fell in love with this person. And it seems like when you're with them, like time, you lose track of time, right? Time takes on a new dimension somehow. It begins to bend differently. And before long, it's like time to go, but you want to stay and linger. You have an appetite for more. That's eternal. Those are different, right? Are you with me? And this is what Christ is talking about when he talks about heaven in this sense of the age to come. There's an eternal sense to it that we get to participate in and tap into and experience today as well. Frederick Buechner puts it this way. He kind of merges these different ideas. He says, here's your life. And he's speaking in a way of a good father to a good son. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are. Why? Because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. That's that voice of love. Here is the world, and this goes back to the first ion, that period of time. It's beautiful, and terrible things will happen. It's just a fact. It's beautiful, and terrible things will happen. And then he, and then he bridges us into heaven. The voice of love invites us out of that temporal space and into an eternal space. By saying, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Nothing will separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. Do you get the sense, are you sensing, like, do you sense something different in that language? See, Paul believed in this dimension of reality, this dimension of creation, this space and, this space and place that, that transcended time, that transcended time, that we also somehow simultaneously got to cooperate in and live in. He talked about, he talked about being a citizen of it in Philippians 3. He talked about getting glimpses of it in 2 Corinthians 12. It's the way that Jesus interpreted heaven. He doesn't see it as something that exists way out there. He experiences it as something he may engage with and receive and unwrap today. See, in Jesus' mind, heaven was this present, this eternal space, this real experience of joy and love and peace in this temporal space that somehow continued in story later. Or to put it another way, heaven to Jesus wasn't this thing that you inherited when this body fails and you transition, however that works, into the next space. To Jesus, heaven was this place, this quality of life that he could engage with and commune with God today that he invites us to as well. That he invites us to as well. Henri Nouwen, who's one of my favorites, and he wrote a book called The Inner Voice of Love. That's a good title. 
And he talks about it this way. He says, the more deeply you live your spiritual life, the easier it will become to discern the difference between the with God life, heaven, and the without God life, everything else. Everything else. The with God life, heaven, and the everything else. And sometimes uh, we confuse and we get distorted and we distract ourselves with some of like, what is heaven and what does heaven mean for us now by inviting in this, this frustration of what it means to be saved and not yet saved. What does it mean to be saved, quote unquote, or not yet saved? And I think that conversation can really confuse our understanding of heaven now. Because it places kind of in a space where we consider we're going to save for something out there one day versus I'm saved into something right now, today. It's caused a lot of confusion in the church, this idea of like when you're saved, how you're saved, and what you need to do. And, so, and depending on like the tradition, it's either like you got to confess some things, right? You might need to be baptized, like immersion baptism or sprinkle baptism, perhaps. You might have to say like a, what people would refer to as like the sinner's prayer, right? Or a confession of some kind. Or you need to be born again. Or you need to have a conversion experience. And we use these words, and it kind of confuses the sense that, oh, that stuff, that kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God, that's already around us. It can kind of confuse us from that. It's already around us. This is what Paul says in Romans 10, um, in terms of being saved. In terms of being saved. And this is actually in reference to something Moses said back in Deuteronomy. But he says, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. Righteousness by the law, we're going to come back to that, okay? The person who does these things will live by them. That means the law. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, which is something we do, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is something we do, that is to bring Christ up. But what does it say? The word is near. What does it say? Christ is near. It is in your mouth and in your heart. And then we get go on, and it gets a little bit confusing. This is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Hold on to this. If you declare with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. Pretty clear, right? But then he kind of reverses the order of this. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And so what Paul is introducing us to is something that we struggle with all the time. At least I do which is trying to hack in and break into this thing, this mystery that isn't supposed to be solved on this side of things. And he says, if you confess this, and if you believe that, and he reverses it and says, because you believe, you're justified, and because you profess, you're saved. And what I can struggle with is begin to build an equation 
right? Do you sense an equation in this passage? <laughs> like if you confess and you believe, then you're equals this, and you're saved. And I think that's pretty well the opposite of what Christ is trying to communicate outside of the law of righteousness. Outside of the law of righteousness. Stick with me, because I think this gets kind of interesting. If we look at John 3, for example, Jesus tells this man, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Okay? And Nicodemus just got out of, like, daylight savings time, and so he's a little disoriented. And he's like, how am I supposed to be born again of my mother's womb? Right? Which is okay question. Right? In which Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, the with God life, unless they are born of water and of spirit. Right? Do we get a so if we listen to Paul, you got to believe, you got to confess and believe. And then Jesus says, you got to be born again and of water and of spirit. And then in Luke 20, Jesus refers to those in heaven as those who are worthy of it. So then there's this worthiness clause. Well, worthy in what? And who defines them as worthy? And in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And he says, if you forgive others, God will forgive you. So, okay, then you've got to forgive other people too. In Matthew 10, Jesus teaches us that those who stand firm till the end, they'll be saved. So you can't be wobbly, and you've got to know what you can't be wobbly in. You've got to stand firm for something. Okay, well, we need clarity on what that something is then, I guess. And this, how about this one? This one's fun. Zacchaeus in Luke 19 comes to Jesus, and he says, Here and now I've given half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus replies, salvation has come to your house today. Is anyone else kind of like a little bit lost? Like where, and this goes on and on and on and on and on and on. If you confess and believe and are baptized and by water and by spirit and you forgive some people and then you're also considered worthy and you give away half of your possessions, and it goes on and on and on and on. And I think this is Jesus' way of saying, if you want to play that game, then here are the rules. If you want to play the game of law, then here are the rules, and good luck. In Mark 10, we read this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, this should be pretty clear. What do you, why do you call me good, Jesus answered, which is no one is good except God alone. Right? Some foreshadowing, I suppose. You know the commandments, and then this is Christ telling him, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your mom and dad. And those are like six of the ten commandments he gives him. And this man replies, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Ta-da! And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Not to be overlooked. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this the man's face fell. 
he went away sad because he had great wealth. And I think what, they're, what Jesus is communicating here is, if you want to play the game of what do you need to do to inherit the with God life, here are the rules. These are the rules I played. And whether it's those 316 laws in the Old Testament that you must meet, or whether it's the Ten Commandments that we hang in our homes, or whether it's the six he quotes this guy, or whether it's the one I grew up with of love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor and others, like which is kind of two, whether it's 316 or 10 or 6 or 1, he's saying you can't get it that way. It's not an equation. It's a gift. You are good, good, right? It's a gift, and you get to receive it. And so what's consistent in all these different passages is there's a responsiveness to the gift. And so we pay attention. Our, 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 our work, our work, our effort becomes noticing. Where is the invitation in today, in this moment, to participate in the heaven that's already around us? Already around us. Like 10 years ago, I was driving in Boulder, 28th and Arapaho. If anybody knows that intersection, there's like a bank on stilts. And then I was at this intersection as I was driving up to the red light, I noticed a friend named Independence, and she uses services at the shelter for a long time, and as I drove, she, wrote, she always made these incredibly beautiful signs, and kind of sarcastic ones, but incredible, like incredible, incredible penmanship. And as I pulled up, um, I remember the sense, the invitation to offer Independence whatever money I had in my bag. So I reached my bag, and I found 10 bucks, and I offered Independence, and it felt like I got caught up in the heaven. That's what it felt a little bit like. It felt like I got transported out of this temporal space, just for a moment even, and got to experience this eternal reality. Right? A few years ago, a few years ago, Monica and I were living over in Cheeseman Park, and I walked over to get some lunch at Sexy Pizza. Any fans? Sexy Pizza. And as I was walking over to Sexy Pizza, I saw someone who looked like they could be struggling with homelessness. And I had this sense, I should give this guy the money I have on me. I remember reaching into my bag and pulling out some 20s and thinking, well, it wasn't that strong of a sense. <laughs> right? And that is then the noticing, the game of noticing. It's not if, it, if, if salvation, if savedness, if the encounter with and the inheritance of heaven and the with God life is by nothing we do, and we call that grace, that it's nothing we do or earn, but is an extension of his goodness that we get to unwrap and accept, then we get to notice what are the movements in, in the ordinary day and how am I going to participate with them? And how do I get to participate with them? And so as we return to where we began with this voice of love, the question then is, what are we hearing are the voice of love communicating to us today? What do we hear of his love, affection, pleasure, and delight in you and I? 
and respond to that invitation. And this, this language for me, and I, I've, it's, I've captured a number of different to- ways and times, but it sounds like, Stephen, I love you. <laughs> I'm never going to stop loving you. There's nothing you can do to change that about me. And I've got a lot of good things for you just around the corner. And I'll never, ever, 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 I don't know if that's enough evers in there, stop doing good to you. And the responsiveness can feel like, hmm, that's what it can feel like inside. Right? Groans too deep for words. Mmm. Yes, please. Can sound like, yeah. Meister Eckhart talks about if the only prayer you ever pray in your life is thank you, that'll suffice. I think it's those spaces. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks again. And today, if this feels responsive to you, congratulations, as you're caught up in the mystery of the eternal state already. And that's good news. And we just begin to ask ourselves, is there are new ways that I can that I can encounter and notice his affection and pleasure for me today. And that becomes the process and work of encountering heaven in the normal, in the ordinary, in the everyday experience of life. Will you pray with me? Holy Trinity, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for overwhelming us with your affection and pleasure and delight. And we ask that we may continue to participate in your presence and activity in ours. And in your holy and precious, precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.